The promise of fusion energy took a major step forward on September 5th, when a startup company affiliated with MIT solved what many see as the chief technological hurdle to harnessing the technology for the production of electricity. They successfully tested a high-temperature, superconducting electromagnet capable of containing the incredibly high temperatures needed for a fusion reaction while using far less energy in doing it. The startup is now moving on to the big test, determining whether a fusion reaction can actually generate more energy than it uses. The goal is 2025 for that test, and then 2030 or thereabouts for developing a commercial-scale fusion power plant. I'm Bruce Mole from Commonwealth Magazine, and I'm joined on the podcast by two of the architects of the fusion initiative, Bob Mumgard, the CEO of Commonwealth Fusion Systems, and Dennis White, the director of MIT's Plasma Science and Fusion Center and a co-founder of Commonwealth Fusion Systems. Welcome, gentlemen. Thanks for having us. Great to be here. Let's start with you, Professor White. Keeping our audience in mind, explain in simple terms what you achieved on September 5th. Right. So what we achieved was... um, bringing to, to bear a key new techno- technology, a, technology, a disruptive technology about being able to deliver fusion science and fusion energy at a scale and at a pace that no one considered possible before. Um, and to, to, to put that quantitatively, we have uh, shrunk the size of, of fusion devices um, that can obtain the necessary conditions which you had just mentioned by well over factors of 10. Um, and what we showed by, with the magnet of developing it in, in three years, we, we are accelerating the pace of bringing fusion energy um, as a practical source to mankind. So that's at the high level of what, why the magnet test was, was so critical. So Mr. Mumgard, uh, you've shown that uh, you can contain a fusion reaction using far less energy and far less materials, bigger space and that sort of thing. But you've yet to prove, I guess that's the big test coming, that you can run a reaction that will yield more energy than it actually takes to run it. Is that is that right? Yeah, the way to think about this is that people have studied fusion for a long time and have been quite successful at, at advancing the science. And we can show that we can use magnets to create the conditions that are necessary for fusion and get pretty close but no one has yet made more power out than a fusion from a fusion machine than it took to heat it up. And that's been a, uh, a big goal for the, the world for a long time. And the barriers to doing that have often been things like, well, you have to build a very, very big machine to do that. And this magnet, by being so high magnetic field, means that we can build a much smaller machine to do that. We haven't done that yet, but that's the next step. And that's the machine that we're we're starting to build right now in Massachusetts. And at your press conference, when you announced these results, you seem to think that this was the big breakthrough, however, that the, the science and, and what you need to do to do, move to this next step is out there. You haven't done it yet, but it, but it exists and you know what to do. Is that fair to say? That, that's correct. And the, the, the premise that we built this on, as you said, that we, is the, the architecture of this was that we took an approach uh, of containing this uh, artificial star 
which was very, very well understood from a scientific point of view. And in fact, it demonstrated almost all the necessary scientific conditions for getting to the goal that uh, Dr. Mumgard had spoken of, which was about getting to net energy. Our approach said, what we need is a disruptive new technology about the strength of the magnetic field, this new magnet technology, that then when coupled with this known science would put us on a fast track to fusion energy. One way to think about it is similar to like uh, computers. Computers existed before the transistor or before the microchip, uh, but they were big, they were complex, they were the, the realm that only um, the big you know, universities and, and labs could ever use. And that really made them not as useful and not as impactful as they could be, they couldn't reach their full potential. But when someone uh, invented the transistor, that enabling technology meant that suddenly computers could go much faster they could do other new things. They could get much more powerful. And become smaller. Too. And that's very similar to what we've done with this magnets. The, in this analogy, fusion energy has been studied for a long time. We know what the, the rules are that govern it, um, but we haven't yet put it in the hands of, of being useful. And what the transistor equivalent here is this magnet. So, Professor, did I read somewhere that this the idea for this magnet was sort of conceived in one of your classes? That, that That's correct. So. Um, yeah. In fact, uh, Bob Mumgard was, was a student in that class. So what we had considered was, um, uh, I, I was personally frustrated with the lack of progress in, in fusion, uh, because as, as, as was just stated, we knew a lot of the science, but it seemed to be like getting further into the future rather than getting closer. Um, so one of the things you know, that, that, that we did was, well, let's take a look at, let's look outside of our little bubble Let's see what's happening outside in the world. Let's, let's look at some new technologies which are coming along. Um, and, 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 and lo and behold, outside of fusion was developed, was developed this new technology. We didn't develop the underlying technology of the new superconductor. But I think once we, I brought this to the class, we started talking through it. We quickly realized it was really going to change the nature of how we could build electromagnets and therefore that was going to change how we, how we could uh, bring to bear bring this to bear on fusion devices, um, and um, you know, and that and that was really what came to fruition a few weeks ago with the test. Um, but it was that that was really the strategy all along. It was like let's let's take science that we understand, but give it a new tool so that we're going to be able to do it a lot faster and a lot more effectively. And and of course, I have to say is that it, it also helps having brilliant students who are now helping, who are now CEOs and so forth, who are helped leading this effort. And that, that, that's also very satisfying, um, of course, of seeing that uh, come all the way through to, to fruition. Did you think it would lead to this, uh, Mr. Mumgar, when you were in that, sitting in that class? <laughs> uh, not, not entirely, uh, not, not, not the exact path, but you could see that it was going to be a big change. And if you combine that, that, you know, seeing that this was a new tool and a big change with the needs related to climate change and with the atmosphere around innovation and how to very quickly get things from the laboratory bench to, to the market and impact that we've seen in, in companies that, uh, in, particularly in the Boston and uh, ecosystem around MIT, you could start to put those pieces together even that early that here you have this very, very established scientific field. You've got this new tool that changes that field completely. That field has an application, which is energy without any emissions that the world desperately needed. 
and you're in an ecosystem that knows how to take that all the way as fast as possible from all the other tools you need besides just the science. And, and so you could you could start to see that be sketched out. Yeah. Um, but you know, it took several years before those threads were sort of yeah. strong enough to be tied together into what we're, what we're doing yeah. now. And, 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 and our science and technology understanding itself became stronger as we went along. That was also a key part of it. So I'm, I've been a reporter for a long time and written a lot of what I think are big stories. But as you guys were talking at your press conference, I began to think, wow, the potential here, if if you're able to follow through as you hope to do, is enormous. And, and you guys were talking about changing the planet in, in some ways uh, and affecting climate change. And I'm not used to writing stories that sort of have leads about, you know, affecting climate change and blah, blah, blah. Um, and given that, I was sort of, when I, I wrote my story, when everybody, I sort of looked the next day and I was sort of wondering, is it going to be everywhere? Are you going to read about this everywhere? And I didn't see it everywhere. And were you disappointed with that? Or is there a skepticism about fusion that, that just prevails? Uh, no, no, I think it's, it's actually um, properly measured. So this is a big step and this is a key step. But, you know, it's a pretty esoteric step, step and a pretty esoteric thing right, like a magnet and a fusion, and no one can be uh, blamed for not understanding that right, right away. But if you, if you zoom out and you look at the long-term consequences of that, uh, they are profound for the people that are really close to the technology. Um, and so we had a big reaction from the, the people that follow energy technologies and the people that um, uh, follow fusion and, and are in fusion. And you know, I think that, that trend is also a trend that is uh, broadly across technologies that, you know, the beginning, the beginnings of the change are not apparent to everybody. Uh, I mean, actually, actually, it's like people talk about the Wright brothers and the Wright flyer. Well, actually, like they were flying for actually months before yeah. people believed that it was true. Um, and there's this great story of people on the train watching them fly around their farm. And it's like this was in the front page uh, <laughs> yeah. on the front page of the headline. But, but eventually, once you start to get to the actual impact, which, you know, we're still a ways away from, but we're you know, now at the stage where we can make the next set yeah. of investments and tools and people and infrastructure to, to tackle um, with high confidence. Uh, once once we get, you know, that rolling is, is really where you you'll start to see more and more yeah. uh, people watching. And we have to be humble about the challenges that are still in front of us. I mean, you could tell the excitement of the scientific team at that at that press conference because we understand the importance of the uh, of this new tool and what what it will mean to advancing the, the the science and energy mission of fusion. But you know, in the end, it's about delivering net fusion energy and practical fusion energy systems. You know that that is where the you know that's where the where the rubber will meet the road on this and. We are, you know, we are committed to using this new tool to, to getting there. So this is, in many ways, the beginning of the journey, but an obviously, obviously important, uh, critical first step in doing that. But for our listeners, the tone of that press conference was, this was the big technological breakthrough for you folks. The rest is, is a challenge. You, you've got lots of challenges ahead, but not uh, unknown challenges. Is that yes. fair to say? I would say that that's that's a correct statement, um, and particularly going to the the device that uh, we just mentioned, which is called Spark, which is being built in Massachusetts. It was it was very intentionally designed such that the the scientific and technological 
outline of it was well within hand with one exception, which was this new magnet technology. So with the advent of this new technology, it's like there is nothing stopping us from building that first demonstration, the Kitty Hawk moment of fusion, which is when you see net fusion energy from a system uh, on Earth for the first time. That's going to be the most important moment. Bob, could you talk a little bit about what it's like to work at a company that which with such high ambitions for changing the the way we live in a, in a lot of ways? Yeah, it's a uh, you know so CFS is just over uh, three years old, and you know it's a company from the very beginning. Uh, you know everyone involved knew what it is that we had to do, um, and that's actually a rare thing in a startup. A startup is oftentimes looking for you know the right the right path to go it's either you know problem in search of a solution or a solution in search of a problem and we had pretty good fit on problem and solution um from the very beginning and that's a that's a unique thing to be in um because it attracts other people who who want to solve those types of problems and so if you look at the company now which is about 160 people uh they are mission aligned to an extremely high degree they are very capable they're diverse they came from all over the world to try to do this one thing, um, get fusion energy as fast as possible to impact. Um, and uh, that's been you know, very fun to, to build, it's been fun to watch, and it's been really fun to watch the world interact with it. Um, and you know, when we first started out, it was people sort of thought, well, that's really, really audacious. I think that might be borderline crazy. And now <laughs> it's just seen as audacious and also uh, with a lot of momentum. And so that's been a fun thing to watch, whether that's the um, uh, policymakers thinking about how fusion fits into the, the energy mix in the future and how to pave that way to, to the US and Massachusetts to be a leader, or whether that's the students who apply to graduate schools where those applications are way up, or whether that's the financial markets thinking through how do we make sure that the fuel that, that runs this whole thing in terms of the, the finances to grow and, and improve things um, continues to flow. And so it's sort of become a bit more of a movement uh, than when we first first started out. So it's been very exciting. And talk a little bit about um, about it as a business. Uh, is it a business or is it an academic exercise? Uh, you, you, you've got a company, but MIT appears to be heavily involved. How, how do you envision this? Like if you build Spark and then move on from that, are you guys going to license this technology or are you you gonna, you know, control it in some fashion? Yeah, so it's a it's a great question. I think it's one that you know really shows the uh, the the path we've gone down shows the thoughtfulness um, behind this. So you know the energy markets are indeed businesses, right? The way that we in the particularly in the West, the way that we get our energy is through um, uh, companies that develop technologies and other people who buy those technologies and deploy them, and then they go across wires and end up uh, in our homes and end up in our, our systems. So uh, that's where it has to end up eventually. It has to end up as a company that can actually grow very, very quickly um, to be able to serve a, a zero emissions thing. But it starts out as a science and that's how most innovations start out. And that's one of the reasons that CFS came out of MIT where we can, we can lever, uh, leverage the MIT experience. Yeah. And so clearly the, the MIT part of this, of you know, we, we needed we, we need these technological and science innovations, you know, to, to get there. So it obviously makes sense for MIT to be involved in that way. But I'll almost go back to the I'll go back to the um, 
analogy about, about flight, you know, after we had commercial airliners, we didn't get rid of aero astro departments at universities. In fact, they thrive now because there's always further innovations, not, not just pe training people, but actually what's the next idea? What's the next curiosity driven innovation that comes along that might be there? So the way I look at it from, you know, from my side of, as an academic and an, as an educator, this is, this is thrilling because what we could say is that, you know, you talk about licensing, we came up with this idea, we hatched it here, um, you know, Bob and I and several others here at MIT. And, you know, the obvious answer was, well, we should license this idea into the fusion in energy industry. There is, was no fusion energy industry. So let's create one. And let's create one together, very intently understanding that you're going to need more than just a company. You're going to need even more than just a single university. You're going to have to build an entire ecosystem, which actually delivers this new energy source. But we're at the core of it. And we're very excited about that. And then in the long term, you know, the, the types of people that you're going to need to have involved, even in building something like the Magnet or building something like Spark, uh, you know, you want to have people involved who are commercially focused on how to, how to go quickly and how to refine it to its essence of uh, something that can be cost competitive, that can be sustainable, that can be manufactured, those types of, of skill sets. And of course, those, uh, you know, that's not the skill set that a university has, but that's the skill set that companies have. So really, this is the best of both worlds, you know, trying to uh, create a, a, a bridge to get technologies that could be very impactful out of the lab and into the market as fast as possible without ever dropping it. And would you say that the markets after your announcement, recent announcement, have, the, have financial markets, you mentioned them, their interest in this and companies, are people beating down your door now to try and get involved or are they trying to stop you in some way, which is a classic out of movies and stuff? They don't want this developed. What, what's happening? Yeah, the, the, the good thing about Fusion is that, uh, you know, people that, 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 that know about it, they, they're very excited about it. And that's, that's almost universal. And that's not just a, a U.S. thing. And it's not just in the private industry or in, in the academic world. That's, that's pretty universal. You, you can see what this could do to um, do for, for humanity. And so people get excited about it. And so I think more and more people are becoming believers. And it's not just from the work that, that we do here. It's actually, uh, many people don't know this, but there's actually like somewhere around 30 fusion companies. Um, and there's several billion dollars of capital now invested in those companies, similar to say the companies that were you know, part of early stage uh, geothermal and other energy sources. So it's a, it's a, a a growing ecosystem that is attracting interest from from people that want to work in it and talent it's also attracting interest from investors uh, who can uh, uh, who will fund things like this that are still somewhat speculative uh, technology development longer timelines um, but those are people that are getting more and more involved uh, either through cfs or through, through other means well thank you both for joining me today professor dennis white of mit and Bob Mumgard, the CEO of Commonwealth Fusion Systems. And to our listeners, we'll see you again next week. Thank you.